What up, world, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Blazers. I am your past first point guard and Blazers beat writer, Mike Richmond. Today is a very special day. It's the first ever, at least for me, I'm sure Eric did a bunch of these, but the first ever Mike Richmond edition of the all-mailbag everything Locked On Blazers. And by all-mailbag everything, I mean the last two segments. The first segment, we're going to talk about the game that happened tonight. The Blazers, they beat the T-Wolves, 132-122. Um... Was this a good game? Yeah, it was fun. They scored 132 points. I don't think they played that well, but I think there were some important takeaways from this. Let's start there. And then, like I said, the second two segments, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll answer your questions. I solicited some questions on Twitter. You guys sent me a bunch of questions. I will answer them as best I can. So stick around. Last 17 minutes of this podcast, I will get to those things. But first, let's start at the Target Center where the Blazers scored 75 points in the first half and only led by nine because they couldn't stop the Wolves at the end of the uh, end of the first half. But I, here's the big takeaways from this for me. One, Rodney Hood started and he played really well. Him and Ennis Cantor both had 12 in the first quarter. Uh, they were the leading scorers tonight. It was another game where Dame didn't do a lot on offense. I honestly think that's always a good sign for this team, uh, even when they were healthy. And particularly now, uh, with the limited roster that they have, uh, any night where Dame doesn't have to go nuts and doesn't have to take a ton of shots and they can win a game going away, uh, that's important. Dame 6 of 17, uh, he just, he he couldn't get it going. But he did finish with 12, 12 assists and his 15 points. Like I said, Rodney Hood started and played 29 minutes. He finished with 21, had 9 after a hot for, a really hot start. And his canter, 20 and 11, another double-double. Uh, doing what he does, more than half his rebounds came on the offensive end. Uh, he, it was a very Ennis Cantor game, in my opinion. He had some good counting numbers, and he had some real struggles on defense. And in the fourth quarter, he didn't play because Terry Stotts chose to go with Zach Collins at center. Um, I'm glad I wasted seven minutes of airspace talking about how Zach Collins struggles to play center by himself and I don't like that lineup and neither do the Blazers for yesterday's podcast because he closed out the game at center and played really well uh, I thought in general the Blazers guarded Carl Anthony Towns very very well in this game he was only six of 21 from the floor and that's I think he hit two of his last three shots he was really he's scored the first seven points of the game for the T-Wolves and then he went ice cold and basically from that point forward and, and a lot of it was the Blazers defense uh, they did something they rarely do, which they sent double teams at him. Uh, for the most part, it worked really well, and the Wolves just don't have good uh, good enough players around him to make you pay. Um, I think uh, people thinking that this is some sort of uh, new strategy that Terry Stotts is going to deploy should probably look closer at the Wolves roster. When you don't have very good shooters and you don't have very good players, it makes it much easier to send double teams. Um, with all due respect to Tyus Jones and Josh Okogie, they don't exactly strike fear from the perimeter. It's easy to help off those dudes. It's not that scary to help off Dario Saric for the most part. Um, same with Andrew Wiggins. It's easy to double team a dude with bad teammates. That's what they did. But I've buried the lead. I've wasted three and a half minutes without talking about the most wonderful, fantastic, amazing thing that could ever happen. And it was someone getting statistical symmetry. That's right. Evan Turner had a triple-double, y'all, and he didn't just have a triple-double. He had a triple-double that comes with some stupid NBA minutia. He became the first player in NBA history to record a triple-double off the bench without missing a shot. He was 5-for-5 five five from the field, 13 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Um, okay, 
I say that um, obviously mocking how whether I think that's important or not. I think it's um, objectively stupid that 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 stat came up, but the NBA shared it on Twitter and a lot of people, including the Blazers' big account, retweeted it. That is so incredibly meaningless. He had a good game. It doesn't matter that he went five for five. Um, he played well. I think for me, outside of just um, him racking up those points, the big takeaways for me from Turner's night were that uh, once the Blazers, who led by 19 in the first half, kind of blew it, and gave it all away. They went into the fourth quarter trailing and were down by six early in the quarter while Dame was on the bench. And there was kind of a, are, are you serious? What a what a ugly loss this would be kind of vibe to this game. And Evan Turner was kind of anchored that second unit and got them going. He got Seth Curry a couple buckets, just finding him in rhythm, coming off screens, running a really familiar actions that you've seen with those little flare screens with the Blazers. Uh, he found Zach Collins for a bucket in transition that definitely should have been a turnover, but uh, God was smiling down on the pinwheels and Zach caught it in traffic and scored. Uh, also, during that stretch, when uh, Evan was kind of rerouting the game as as playing the like true backup point guard that I think the Blazers always envisioned him in, he managed to commit two unforced turnovers, um, which was just a really classic way to explain how he was playing. Everything was working for him, and then some stuff was just still kind of... Um, he was kind of looking like Evan Turner. He was dribbling behind his back in traffic and lost the ball. And then he tried to force a, a pass over the top and, and gave up another bucket. But but he was good. Um, I'm, I'm kind of making fun of him. But he, he played really well in this game. Uh, and it was nice to kind of see him bounce back because he's been a non-factor for basically a month and a half, for about six weeks uh, since he was dealing with that knee injury. He just hasn't had many games where he was important. And he was, he was important in this one. Blazers closed with... Uh, him on the court alongside Dame and Rodney Hood and Al Farouk Aminu and Zach Collins at center. And then a little bit of Mo too, and no chief. It was, um, for the most part, it was, uh, this was an impressive fourth quarter because the Blazers kind of blew it and came all the way back. That was the big takeaway for me. Uh, and this, this is a big, this was a big game, um, just because, they go three and four on the road trip. They get to come home and play a Memphis team that's dealing with a ton of injuries and isn't very good anyways. And it kind of showcased uh, what you want the, these Blazers to be should should teams try to take Dame away in the playoffs is that they do have other guys who can help. Seth Curry was really good. I, I mentioned Rodney Hood and, and Ennis Cantor get going. Uh, early in the game, and obviously uh, Zach's defense was really meaningful at the end of the game. I mean, you just saw their depth, uh, and I think playing against a team like Minnesota, who is dealing with some injuries and is kind of relying on their lone all-star to carry them, they're they're a bad team, and the Blazers, with their depth, um, you just can appreciate their roster a lot more when they play against these these teams that you think like, well, shouldn't they be a little shouldn't they be a little bit better? Uh, I think Minnesota is the sort of the good example of what uh, maybe people's perception of what the Blazers roster and what this team should be like uh, versus tonight what they actually were like, which was a team that could find a way to turn a six-point deficit into a double-digit win. Um, quote of the night really comes from Evan Turner, who told Brooke Oldendam as he was walking off the court, I did something Damian Lillard didn't do, and I'm proud, uh, which is record a triple-double, the fourth of Evan Turner's career, and the first off the bench, if you're into stupid minutia, since 1992 for the Blazers. Rod Strickland, your boy, one of the most underrated Blazers I think of the whole 90s run uh also I think Evan Turner when he got his 10th rebound to to secure that triple double the bench went nuts and just a reminder that if any NBA player tries to tell you they didn't know that they were close to a triple double they are lying 
Everyone has access to stats. Everybody on the bench is counting. These dudes know. Uh, the only other thing that I guess is my takeaway from Evan Turner triple-double night is that it seems clear to me that Damian Lillard doesn't care about getting a triple-double because there's been a couple times this year when he could have really chased it, even a couple times in his career when he has has chased it at least a little bit. But he definitely could have had a game like this at some point in the season against a bad team where he could have just chased rebounds a little bit harder. Um so yeah, I think Dame maybe legitimately doesn't care about triple-doubles. That was my big takeaway from Evan Turner having a triple-double. But again, like I said, nice to see him play well. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. But before I do that, I want to tell you guys um, two things. One, check out the new podcast app, Himalaya. It's uh, They've got daily play- curated playlists for you. They're releasing new features every week. Uh, all the Locked On podcasts are on there, including the newly launched Locked On MLB. So if you are a baseball fan... Check out all the new Locked On MLB, Locked On Major League Baseball, y'all, to get your sweet baseball fix. All right, as promised, we're coming to you in segment two and also segment three with all mailbag everything. Uh, If you guys are first-time listeners to Locked On Blazers, we do things in three segments here. We break it up. So, segment two. We're just going to get right to it. Uh, I might have to cruise through some of these because I want to get to everyone's questions. So if you feel like uh, I didn't do your question justice, just send me a mean tweet at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Thank you to all of you who submitted questions. Uh, I'm basically just going to run through them and chronologically how they showed up on my Twitter feed. I have organized them somewhat um, so we can kind of take the similar ones together. Uh, first one from Francis Mack at Francis underscore M-A-K on Twitter. And... Francis asks, do you expect Stotts to play less Cantor and play more Myers or Zach? Uh, and then there's a specific part of assuming that the Blazers play the Jazz in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I think it's a little early to talk about that one with five games left. But um, generally speaking, I think that we'll probably he'll probably try to play more Zach Collins because of the versatile defense and because of Cantor's obvious deficiencies, um, particularly in playoff basketball when, when your weaknesses get attacked. But uh, that isn't to say that Zach Collins doesn't have some deficiencies. He's just not as strong as Cantor. He's not as good of an offensive player at this stage in his career. Uh, what Cantor does well, he does really, really well. So I don't think like it's going to be 35 minutes for Zach and 12 for, for Ennis coming in. Uh, playoff time but I do think there could be a more even split like a you know 24 24 something towards that 28 22 whatever well it's it's it remains to be seen but I don't think I don't um, it seems very unlikely to me that Myers would be the guy that wins out on that I think it's a choice between um, playing more Ennis or or trying more time with um, with Zach in at the five and like I've said I don't think uh, Terry loves that against every matchup, so I think it's going to be. It really a lot of it depends on who they play. Uh, I I don't I wouldn't I don't expect if they do end up playing the Jazz as this question suggests that Zach will play a ton of minutes against Rudy Gobert. Although it certainly he'll get his chances. Um, and then in that same vein, D Loitz at D Loitz asks, "Do you think starting Cantor but letting Collins finish is the right move?" Yeah, I I, I mean in general I do think that's the right move. Um, I don't. I'm not big on on worrying about who starts, who finishes. I think that's kind of like a too simple of a way to. Or sorry, I, I should say I'm not too worried about who starts. I think that's too simple of a way. It's like a really lazy take for uh, sports writers and analysts to be like, he should start. Well, who? I mean, who cares? Who cares? 
who plays the most minutes I is much more important. And like you said, who, who closes the game? I think there is some value in having Collins be part of that closing group uh, be just because of his defensive ability, like I, I said in the first question. Um, but they wouldn't have won tonight's game without Cantor's offense early. It, it, it set the tone um, with his ability just to score on straight-up post-ups, his ability to score out of pick-and-rolls. He had a couple nice passes when... Uh, when the defense kind of extended out to him, drew a little bit of attention, he found cutters. Um, Cantor can really, he can, he's a good offensive player. He has, he has real useful strengths. We obsess over his deficiencies, but I, I do think that maybe the trend will be more, more Collins to close games, and I think that's a good idea. Uh, this next one comes from Nick Castaneda on Twitter, at Nick Castaneda. Thanks, Nick, for the question. And Nick, just loving the offseason like a true Blazer fan, asks, which of the players currently in the rotation are most likely to be on another team next year? Um, I would say Seth Curry has, I would give him a less than 2% chance to be on the roster next year. Uh, The Blazers can only give him so much of a raise. I think he's played well enough to earn the slightly more money. I don't think he's loved playing a backup role where he's shooting six times a game. Um, I think he's gone. I think Ennis Cantor is a rental. I do not see the Blazers bringing him back, even with Nurk's situation. Um, he's going to want and command more money than they can offer him. He's on a minimum right now. Uh, they don't control his, his bird rights or anything like that. I think Cantor is gone. I think this is just a small cameo for Ennis Cantor. And I think Rodney Hood's also a goner too. Uh, same deal. Um, you know, they don't, they just... Uh, just the way his contract's set up, and as he heads into free agency, peace out, homie. Um, <laughs> I, I think there is, I, I think because the Blazers control off Rukamina's rights of the sort of free agents, he's the one likely to be back. Um, but I think those three, Curry, Hood, and Cantor, are gone. Uh, and the next question comes from Isaiah Browning. Isaiah Browning, this is, um, this sort of more lineup talk, and if y'all know me, you know I love lineup data, y'all. Love it. Love me some net ratings. Uh, but I, this isn't really that kind of question, but I just wanted to plug how dorky I am. Uh, Isaiah Browning asks, is there a case to go small in the playoffs with Seth playing so well? And the lineup that at Isaiah Browning, or at Browning Isaiah suggests is Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Seth Curry, Mo Harkless, and play chief at the five and spread the floor with five shooters. I mean, I have, we've seen this lineup in very, very, very small doses, not with CJ, but with chief at the five. Uh, We've probably seen it six times this year for less than 10 minutes total. Um, sometimes just situational, but sometimes sort of the end of games and like scramble situations, depending on who they play in the playoffs, I think you can deploy it a little bit, but because they haven't played it much this year, I can't see them sort of unveiling this, uh, I don't want to say death lineup, but like small, smaller perimeter oriented lineup, uh, that I guess you're supposed to call death lineup cause that's what it feels like. Um, but I, I think it, depending on who they play in the playoffs, you can try it a little bit, but most teams are big enough that that's not a great option. Um, you know, it wouldn't be a great option against the Spurs. It wouldn't be a great option against, say, Montrezl Harrell and the Clippers. I don't think it's a great option against Rudy Gobert. Um, 
if they do end up playing the Rockets in some weird scenario where the Blazers lose four of their last five, then maybe because the Rockets also go small. But I, 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 well, I, I'm really intrigued by that lineup, Isaiah. I can't see it being uh, a regular thing. All right, I'm going to answer one more question, and then we're going to take another break. But this final question before we head into the break, and I got another five more on the other side. So if you didn't hear your question yet, it's coming, y'all. But this last one is from Cody Workla. And if I missed the pronunciation on your last name, sorry, Cody, still my guy. But he asks, what pass-first point guard do you compare yourself to? Uh, Cody, my game um, is probably most similar to late career Andre Miller. Uh, I'm, I'm an, I'm kind of a non-shooter, but if you force me into taking 19 footers or little mid-range pull-ups, I can hurt you there. Um, I'm short, but I have a, I have a post game. I like to play a little back to the basket and I love to pass, love to throw lobs. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a real late career. Andre Miller is, um, is my game. Or if, uh, like Sean Livingston after he hurt his legs, <laughs> after Sean Livingston blew up his knee, that's kind of my game. Um, you know, uh, a, I like to work from the mid-range and in, and I, and I love to pass the ball. I love a fancy pass. love a behind-the-back pass. It's, it's my game. Catch me uh, Thursday night's pickup. I'm not going to tell you guys where I play, but Thursday night's. Holler at your boy. All right, before we get back to the next segment, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Wise Cam. Wise is the indoor camera that does it all. It's packed with premium features that allows you to see everything from anywhere for only $20. It's got 1080p full HD, night vision, and two-way audio, and their vision is to make smart home products accessible to everyone. So that's why they're giving you full HD camera with free rolling 14-day cloud storage for just $20 a camera. That means there's no subscriptions. You just pay 20 bucks, you get the camera. But if you want more than that, Wise has got you covered. For just $10 more, you can get the Wise CamPan that gives you 360-degree coverage in under three seconds. And like I said, it's got a free rolling 14-day cloud storage, so everything you capture on there stays on the cloud for free for two weeks. It also works with Alexa, and you can check it anywhere using their app. So if you're on the go on your phone or on a mobile dev- or any mobile device, you'll be able to track the Wise Cam. So if you want the absolute lowest price, go to Wise. That's w y z e dot com slash locked on to get the guaranteed lowest price. All right, welcome back. Still locked on Blazer. Still Mike Richmond, and it's still Mailbag Tuesday, y'all. Um, so we're going to lead off section three with uh, the question that was certainly the most popular on Twitter, voice of the millennial generation and uh the heart of blazer fandom pdx brochelite my dude john asks is the jailblazer doc still happening or not okay here's what i can tell you about this let me be up front first i don't know but here's what i can tell you at one point there was not one but there were two separate blazer documentaries that were in the very infant stages of people working on them and then both of them, to my knowledge, fizzled out or have gone dark. So perhaps there's there are there are still working on them, but uh, I have not heard a heard word on either of those projects in many moons. Um, s- someone is going to make a great Jailblazers documentary at some point, even if it's not one of these two that I had known about. It's going to happen. Um, the 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 figures, the people are too good. Um, and maybe our good friend Jason Quick will write the greatest Jailblazer book that you could ever imagine if he ever retires from uh, 20 years on the beat. 
because uh, my man has some great stories. So maybe we should root for Jason to take, uh, you know, 18 months off and give us the book we all deserve and then have him option that book to an even better movie. I guess he'd option it to a fictional movie. So I guess for Jason to be a talking head and a very good blazer doc is what we're really rooting for. All right, rolling through. Anusa, I'm going to really screw up your last name, so I'm not going to go for it, but Anusa S. at Danoose117 on Twitter asks, what's been going on with E.T. Slump before tonight? Uh, he, I, I've talked a little bit about this on the pod before, and I'll, I'll so I'll go quickly through this. Um, I think some of E.T.'s slump was functional. He really thought he was going to play those backup point guard minutes, like straight up as a backup point guard. Um it didn't that lineup really stopped working out in December, so the Blazers started to try to do different things, which included putting the ball in Seth Curry's hands a little bit more. Evan Turner without the ball in his hands just isn't the same type of player. He's not nearly as effective. Uh, and then he started getting his minutes cut because he just, if they weren't going to run that straight up him as a backup point guard role, there was less minutes for him playing, you know, two or three, depending on what position you think he plays. Uh, as I've pointed out before, hilariously, he's only listed as a point guard on basketball reference for the first time in his career. So maybe he really is, if you're a believer. But I think uh, his his that role not working out for him and his minutes reduction kind of uh, ate into his uh, enjoyment of this season. I don't think he was enjoying it as much. Um, I don't know if that necessarily affected his play on the court, but, I, but it certainly could have. Uh, and then he got hurt. And I think the knee thing really lingered with him. Um, he's on the older side of the Blazers roster. He's the ripe old age of 30. Uh, so, you know, he's he just is has a few more miles on him than, than some of the rest of the guys on the team. And I think having a bad wheel kind of caught up to him a little bit. And Evan is a weird dude. He has a weird game. He's not, he's, he isn't a natural fit with the rest of this roster. It's he, They've tried to figure out how to fit him in and, and it, it hasn't necessarily worked out. And his strange fit and a little bit of bad health and maybe not having the, the longest leash of, of, of the guards that are on the roster uh, caused him to have an extended slump. And I think he played well tonight, but I, I don't want to make too much of this game. This is the first time he's had double-digit assists all season long. That, that tells you all you need to know about, about him. He's, he's just struggled a little bit. Even when we thought he was looking good early in the year, he just was struggling a little bit. But I, I probably spent too long on that when we're running up against the time. So we'll cruise through these last three. My dude Rip City Sofa at Dodgeball Sofa on Twitter asks, What is the ceiling on this team? I'm hoping that we hold on to the four seed, but people are talking about the two seed. I like this because it's a positive straw man. Usually on Twitter, people are going with the negative straw man. Can't believe people are saying the Blazers can't get the two seed, but you went with the reverse. I can't believe... Uh, people are saying the two seed, they're too positive or something like that. I think realistically their ceiling is three. I think four is right there. They do have the tiebreaker over Houston, so if they finish with the same record, they'll hop above them. Uh, Houston doesn't play a super tough schedule, but it's probably not as easy as the Blazers is. Uh, Rockets still have games against the Suns and the Knicks, which is a real gift in the final week of the season because those two teams definitely don't want to win. Uh, I don't think the Blazers can get to two. I mean, they do play Denver twice, so they could conceivably win both those games and really make a jump, but I don't I don't see that happening. So I, I would say realistic ceiling is three. Mathematic ceiling, they win the West, baby. All right. Spencer Gordon asks, what do you need to see from the Blazers against the Nuggets? The Blazers play a home-and-home 
at Denver and then against the Blazers, um, or then in Portland against the Nuggets uh, this weekend, Friday, Sunday, coming up. And he and what do you need to see against the Nuggets in order to truly have optimism for a postseason run? 2-0 and or just keep Jokic in check? Uh, guys, I am not the optimistic podcaster that you're looking for. There's almost nothing the Blazers could do against the Nuggets that would make me think that they're going to go on a quote-unquote postseason run. Um, they've been better. They have more depth than maybe I've given them credit for. They haven't, you know, they haven't really played super tough teams and after Yusuf's injury, but, uh, you know, they've when handling bad teams is probably, um, enough of a sign that they're not a terrible team, you know, blowing out a, a bad Bulls team and, and handling the Hawks and coming back to just handle the, the, T-Wolves on the road at the end of a road trip is probably a sign this team is pretty good, but I don't know for me, if you're talking about Mike Richmond's views, if there's, even if they were to beat the Nuggets twice, if I would say, you know what, this team's going to win, for sure going to win a playoff series and be a factor, be a team that even with all their health issues can challenge for the Western Conference playoffs. You're not going to get that from me. Um, I think depending on the right matchup, they could be a real problem in the first round. Uh, I don't think they're the worst team left in the Western Conference playoff race. Uh, they're probably better than their seed, or they're probably their seed is probably higher than the, what they deserve right now for their talent on the roster. But you know they keep playing well, they keep winning, and I'm always wrong. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. All right, last one to close this out, and this is my favorite thing: is making hard predictions. And by that I mean like concrete predictions. Um, Pershal at Jack. Parshall on t- Twitter asks, in your opinion, do the Blazers get to 50, 51, etc. wins? Uh, just looking at the final five games of the season, they're at 49 heading into Wednesday's game against Memphis. Then they got two against Denver and then the Lakers who have quit playing and the Kings who, who kind of knows what Sacramento will look like the last game of the season. I will say the Blazers win three out of those five and finish with 52 wins. Where they get those three, who knows? Well, maybe one of y'all knows, but I'm not going to say. But I'm going to say they win three of those five. They finish with 52 wins, and um, we get a lot of funny I told you so tweets from Nate Jones. Really looking forward to that one. Thank you guys for listening. As always, download this podcast on the Himalaya app, on Google Play, on Apple playlists on or Apple podcast on Stitcher on Spotify. You can hit me up at Mike G Rich. We'll do one of these mailbags soon. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Thank you guys for listening.